hi, I'm Lena, and today I'm going to show you how to make a quick and easy meal, hummus wraps. These are easy to make, kid-friendly, and jam-packed with healthy plant-based protein. This isn't your average cooking video for a lot of reasons. It's simple, a lot more heart than production value, but it's really important. The audience isn't just some yuppie like me trying to figure out a new way to prepare cauliflower in my air fryer, or even the hosts of an upcoming outdoor dinner party looking for the perfect app. It's for families, busy moms, dads, grandparents, even kids. No frills, just inexpensive, healthy food. So let's get started. Videos like these, these cooking demonstrations on their Facebook page from the nutrition education team, are just one way Operation Food Search has been able to connect with people at a time when connection is a little harder to come by. Like everyone else, they're doing a lot of things differently lately. They've partnered with the Missouri Foundation for Health to employ displaced restaurant workers in their warehouses. They've begun going to Three Rivers Community Farm outside Alton to pick up produce that otherwise wouldn't be harvested and bring it back to their community distribution center. Yes, they've had to cancel some big fundraisers they typically count on, but you can't cancel mealtime. There are so many in our community, in our region, that have reached out in so many profound ways to show caring and uh, just to make sure that no one really has to bear the brunt of, of going to bed hungry. So today on Abby Eats St. Louis, we're learning more from Operation Food Search about what they've found during this pandemic, the best ways to help, where the real need is, and the part of the crisis that has made them more confident in St. Louis than ever. It's just everyone has said, I'm here, I'm willing, let's do this. Plus, Dory and I will talk food news and weekend planner, including for your Cardinals opening day, finally. This podcast was brought to you by something to celebrate, the St. Louis food scene. There would be no Abbey Eats St. Louis without all the fascinating people and stories centered around our awesome restaurants. And there would be no restaurants without Epicurious and adventurous eaters to support the new chefs and unique concepts. People like you. My name is Lucinda Perry Jones, and I am the director of strategic initiatives at Operation Food Search. Well, in my conversation with Lucinda, we got one thing on the table right away. This show tends to be for people who have the privilege to indulge in foodie St. Louis, whether that's buying fresh-grown vegetables or artisan bread from the farmer's market, going out for Taco Tuesday every week, picking up local beer from the grocery store, or even just taking a monthly outing to your favorite hole in the wall. That's something we're really lucky to be able to do. I think we realize that now better than we did even a few months ago. But we wanted to do this episode because the audience of this podcast we know also really cares about the community. And as much has changed for us in the last few months, for many of our neighbors, it's been dire. According to Operation Food Search, Missouri's food insecurity rate was sitting at around 14% before the pandemic. That's higher than the 12% average nationwide. But a study from the University of Arkansas reported that Missouri's food insecurity had skyrocketed to 40% at the height of the pandemic early on here. But we won't really know the full impact or have the exact numbers until a little more time has passed. For Lucinda, though, in her work, it hasn't all been bad. She's had some bright spots to get her through it. Well, it's really been a 
a ride for us, just like it has for every other business. But for us, it's it's also been a, a really great way for us to have these seamless services that we'd already been working on um, because we value community collaboration so much, we cannot meet the need for food without help from a lot of others. So for us, it was it was really looking at um, where are where are those needs? Where um, on top of where are those needs? How are we going to keep our volunteers and our staff safe and the, our participants safe? So we looked at everything from you know, looking at how we were delivering services to what we were delivering and when we were delivering them. Um, is there any way we could mute the email notifications on your computer? Absolutely. I'm so sorry. You're totally fine. You, I can hear by your email notifications that you are busy. <laughs> So one of the things that I've said a couple of times, actually, in covering the story of the need for food right now and the need to get food to different people in the communities, a line that I've used in my reporting is that people who didn't used to need this or a new group of people who had not found themselves in a place of food insecurity before are now finding themselves in that position what does that mean to you from your perspective? What are you actually seeing? Right. So where we're seeing, as you say, it's people who have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. It's because their um, employer has had to shut their doors for whatever uh, reason of being impacted by, by the COVID-19 situation. And, um, you know, many of those are, are folks that have never experienced food insecurity in their lives, and they really don't know where to turn and have not been really accustomed to looking into um, how to get food in the community. So we've been working hard with our community partners to make sure that there is no feeling of, of failure or stigma and offering those services um, with just you know the dignity that people deserve, always and um, you know especially during this time too, um, we're also seeing that a lot of people who don't speak English as a second language or, or speak English as a second language are um, having to access food for the first time too, and because there's that added barrier of not knowing where to turn for help, but also not necessarily speaking the language fluently, that there's that added barrier. So we've been working with people in our, um, in, in, you know, refugee and other um, English as a second language communities to make sure that they have the information they need to access our network of community food partners. You brought up something there that I think is probably more important than a lot of us realize, which is that dignity needs to be part of this, which is that sensitivity to situations needs to be part of it. And, you know, the the idea that you're not nobody wants to be out there just accepting a handout. I think that's really important to get out there is that, you know, this is this is something that you can't. You need to measure that with the idea that pride shouldn't get in somebody's pride shouldn't keep somebody going to bed hungry at night too. 
That that's right, and so that's why we we make sure that you know we we really um, want these services to be helpful to people. Often people use them; they might use them one time, or they might need to rely on that for supplemental food for several months. Regardless of what the situation is, this is why the emergency food network is here for people when they are going through tough times, and it's it's not anything to be ashamed of. Uh, to, to be ashamed about, um, but rather to understand that sometimes people need a little bit of extra help. And our community is here to wrap our arms around them when they really need that help. We talked just a few days before most schools began releasing their plans for returning for the school year. When we think of the things we took for granted before this pandemic, the simplicity of the school day structure and academic calendar are pretty high on most lists. One of the biggest reasons people are advocating for schools to reopen in person in some capacity, they're healthy environments for kids. Not just because they're hopefully safe places for their mental and social development, but because for many, it's a meal they can count on. That's why local programs have always worked to fill backpacks with food for kids for their weekend, for the summer breaks when they're not in the classroom. Well, that same kind of creativity is in play right now to get kids fed when the school year begins as well. And of all of the things that people didn't realize maybe before when it comes to food insecurity, Lucinda's thankful we didn't have to convince anyone to consider the kiddos. Yeah, we were so heartened with um, when COVID-19 did hit that one of the major talking points that people were referring to was how are we going to feed our kids and school districts feel an enormous um, connection to and they know exactly you know what kids need that nourishment and so we worked really closely with school districts to come up with the right models that would fit with what they needed so I think that um, the benefit that we've had of these months is figuring out the different models that we can um, provide to to school districts and that they can take what what we've learned and what we know have been best practices and what have been effective in terms of outreach, and they can shape that into what they need to do for their students. So in other words, it's not a one-fits-all approach, but it's really looking at here are some different models. Here are here's what a grab-and-go model looks like. Here's what a drop-in model looks like. Here's what um, you know how your food service can build their capacity to feed more kids. This is how you tap into you know this this sort of of resource. And so when we uh, collaborate with our school districts, we really work to give them and empower them with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions that will be best for them, uh, for their school district and for the kids that they serve. One out of five children were at risk for hunger. So poverty plays a huge role in um, its relationship to food hardships within within the home. Wow. And those food hardships don't just end with a rumbling belly. No, that's right. So the other um, effects where where food intersects with health outcomes um, relates to a higher rate of obesity, higher rates of of heart disease, um, diabetes, those chronic diseases that really um, are difficult to manage for 
the patient uh, or the individual, but also are the bulk of what our healthcare costs um, go toward. Mm -hmm. um, also, when it comes to um, education, um, kids that aren't well nourished, it's very well documented that they can't learn at the same rate. Kids that have to forego meals specifically during the summer come back to school with um, less capacity to, to learn. So what we are really working with at Operation Food Searches is, is not only making sure that people have enough food to eat, but that the food that they are receiving is healthy and supports a lifestyle where people can be the best individuals that they can be, the best student, the best parent, the best grandparent, and um, the best, ultimately, a productive part of, of our region. Um, and so with that, we know that um, although we are working hard to meet the immediate need right now and putting food in the hands of people, we also look at these policy measures to see what can stop this from happening in the first place. So we're looking at policies that Again, we'll look at the root cause of hunger and poverty and how to disrupt that cycle and to make sure that, that people are starting more from an equitable um, health and, and food uh, justice perspective. Because it seems like from, from what I've seen play out that we as a society are living much closer to the margin of food insecurity than... I would have ever imagined if something like this can throw us into such deeper insecurity in, so quickly. Abby, it really only takes a couple of situations to throw people into a status of poverty or you know just extreme uh, stress on the budget. And that could be something like getting sick. It's getting laid off from work. It's either getting married or divorced, having more people in the household. Uh, it could be a grandparent that's taking in a grandchild. Um, there are all kinds of, of situations that people are, are living paycheck to paycheck. And just one of those aspects that can make that teeter-totter go, um, you know, flying into a place that, that no one ever thought they would be. Just as so many things about 2020 have been unexpected, could never happen, you can't make this stuff up kind of turn of events, we don't like thinking about it, but hunger could happen to any of us. So now's your turn to take some action. Maybe you have some extra time on your hands or money you didn't spend on concert tickets or vacation plans or going out to eat as much, and you want to help. Or, friend, maybe you didn't realize before now that what you're experiencing because of this pandemic is food insecurity and you need a little help, we have a link to Operation Food Search resources in the episode notes because we want you to have hope. When I say that it takes a community uh, to, to get through a pandemic, that it's, it's really been a, an inspiring time to see the love that people have for this region and how much they want to help. And, and really identifying those special ways that they can help. So Operation 
Passion Food Search is an awesome St. Louis area organization, regional organization, really. But they are just one that's in the area feeding this fight against hunger during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, the St. Louis Area Food Bank has distributed nearly 17 million meals since March 16th. So for some perspective on that, before the pandemic, there were more than 400,000 people in 26 counties served by this food bank that were already struggling to put food on the table. And just like with Operation Food Search, that number has increased due to the job losses, furloughs, and all of those other things we just talked about could so easily push people over the edge into food insecurity. And then we also want to give a big shout out to the Urban League. They have been working with these different organizations and others as well to hand out thousands of not only food, but everyday items every single week to people who are struggling. At this point, they have given out over $2 million worth of food, toiletries, masks, gloves, hand sanitizer. Um, they are planning on doing even more by turning their focus to kids and back to school right now. But right now they are planning for this upcoming weekend, their 16th large scale distribution. Um, they're each time serving thousands of families with hundreds of thousands of dollars in giveaway for each one. So there are a lot of different organizations doing really awesome things. And that's why we wanted to talk about it in the we being myself and producer Dory almost joining me now once again from the Shaw Bureau of Abbey Eats. And we were just talking when we said we wanted to do this episode just about how it really is important to shine a light on not just the need, but the good things people are doing. So it gives you the warm yes. fuzzies for St. Louis once again. Yep. So many people out there with such big hearts helping people that we can't even like see the right. impact of it necessarily. Um, just opening their hearts during this time. It's just heartwarming, you know, love it. I completely agree. Well, Dory is here, of course, for food news and our weekend events. And an unfortunate staple of our food news segment has had to be the at least temporary COVID-19 closures. Um, essentially places that have had to close their operations or change things up at least for the time being. So we are doing this episode ahead of the weekend of July 24th. So Dory, let's talk about our latest in our list of closures. I know this first one hits you a little hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, don't like doing this sort of list no. for sure, but uh, tapping off our list this week, Max Local Eats temporarily closed because they had a staffer who has been possibly secondarily exposed to somebody who tested positive. So another case of a restaurant taking things very seriously when it comes to this. hundred percent. I applaud them for doing quick action. Yep. Um, and then this was another big one, the Benjolina hospitality group. They closed five of their restaurants after one employee tested positive. This includes Elia, Olio, Nixta, Benevolent King, and the AO and, AO and Company Market and Cafe, um, they're going to be closed, closed through at least early next week until all employees test negative. Man, I just know we've done so many stories on the delays in tests and how long it takes. And this is mm -hmm. one of those things where if I, I, again, applaud the concept of staying closed until everybody has a negative test to prove it's safe to reopen. Uh, I just hope that they're able to get the tests quickly. Um, some people That's are waiting a problem, right? week. Yeah. yeah, it's become a huge problem for reopening things. But um, good thing to know that they're 
taking it seriously as well. Um, some of them, though, are able to close and then reopen, but we got to let you know about them. Yes, including Mission Taco Joint. I just heard from one of our contacts that the Central West End location is going to be reopening this Friday. The St. Charles location is going to be is already back open, actually, after an employee tested positive in each of those locations. So at least we've got some good news on that front. 100%. However, Salt and Smoke is all closed right now after an employee tested positive at first at one location, and then they shut them all down. And then they found out that there were cases at three of their locations. So they're kind of taking that drastic measure, taking a step back, it seems, um, because they said based on regional surges in cases, they, they're just trying to figure out the best way to move forward right now. Yeah. And I know Salt and Smoke was one that was really trying to make sure they were making mm -hmm. the right moves, delaying opening dining rooms in any capacity for a little bit. Um, and so Tom doesn't like to... Uh, you know, do rush into anything. But the fact that they are deciding to close locations um, hopefully gives them the opportunity to step back for a second and decide the best way to move forward. Right. And another sort of case of that is with Juniper. They made some really big headlines with what they announced this past weekend. They're not shutting down, but they are closing their dine-in service likely after this week. They tweeted, they do not anticipate reopening their dining room for at least a year. They're at least prepared for that. In the meantime, they're going to continue takeout, and they're hoping to add delivery service here soon. So not a total shutdown there, but definitely some drastic measures that I have not heard any restaurants really come out and say yet so far. Absolutely. And I talked to the owner yesterday about all of this because it, like you said, it made a lot of news when they announced that this could be the new normal for at least a year for them. Um, important to note, this is not because of a COVID-19 positive employee or diner there. That's, um, But it is still COVID-19 related because obviously we are still in a pandemic and still having to change the way we do things because of that. And so essentially it's it's a business move because of what's sustainable and what is not sustainable right now. This was a big question mm -hmm. for a lot of restaurants is how can we keep operating and, you know, functioning with the way that we have to given the current guidelines and circumstances. So, um, you know, the owner is saying that they're once again, having to shift gears and they're, they're adding delivery is such a pivot from, again, a few months ago when they didn't even do takeout, but just another sign of our new normal. And that's brave of them for admitting sort of um, the circumstances that they're in and just being smart about how they want to keep their business moving forward. Right. The economics of it. I mean, you think about it and you go past, you go past a restaurant that has more staff than guests that they're allowed to have inside. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not always the case for everything, but that is the case for a lot of them. And, you know, the infrastructure needed inside to meet some of these standards. And so um, it's not it, something that we covered a couple episodes ago is that every restaurant is going to have to make and every restaurant owner, manager, they're going to have to make the right decisions based on so many factors um, that go into play for how they operate. And so at this point, Juniper is shifting gears towards something different. So. Yep. Um, so looking ahead a little bit more to not necessarily a closure, but a total cancellation. I know this is going to hit our local community hard. The Belleville Oktoberfest calling off the event for this year. It was set to happen the weekend of September 18th through 20th. 
It's one of the oldest October events, Oktoberfests in the area. It would have been the 40th annual wow. one this year, but they're already saying, sorry, we can't just, we, we don't know how things are going to be then. And we can't promise that it'll be safe. So they're right now laying it out there. Not going to happen this year. It's one of those things that I think they have to make some of these calls relatively early. Belleville being such a strong, having such a strong German heritage whenever they do like the Christmas Kindle market in the fall and the winter or the, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously Oktoberfest. Um, they have people travel from around the country for some of these, um, whether it's vendors or people who want to participate. And so they've got to get ahead of that. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, Another event bites the dust during all of this. But you know what, Dory? I think that maybe we can find some good news in this world right now. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a, a little something good for you. How about <laughs> tacos and burgers? Absolutely. And absolutely. <laughs> a new restaurant is coming to St. Louis County. It's from the people behind Pie Pizzeria and Gringo's Tacos and Burgers. They are opening a new spot on Men- on Manchester in Glendale. They don't have an exact name for this yet, but their tagline for this is pizza and tacos together forever. Love it. All the best things right there. Um, they're also planning on having an outdoor bar that's made from recycled shipping container that'll also have seating on the roof of it. And cool. what made this location especially good for them is that it already has a drive-up window, which is just perfect for the times we're in right now. They're also thinking about adding in some barbecue to the menu as well. That is also such a good location when you think about that area um, on Manchester, Glendale, right there. It is very family oriented. A lot of young families, mm-hmm. a lot of established. Like it's it's really easy to get to. So very cool. I pizza and tacos together forever might be my next tattoo. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I mean, uh, I'll wait I, for that picture, all right? <laughs> and pizza uh, and tacos, and sorry, then what's the next best thing behind pizza and tacos? Burgers. Uh, burgers? Mm-hmm. Yes. Starting Monday, this coming Monday, July 27th, it's St. Louis Burger Week. You'll be able to get 40 uh, burgers at 40 different restaurants for just $6 each. What a deal. Um There are, and while this is called the St. Louis Burger Week, there are also locations in Chesterfield, Eureka, and St. Charles as well. We have a list of this, of all the participating restaurants on our website, case2k.com. I can link to that in the story notes as well. There's a lot of good places that if you've been kind of thinking about trying, you can get out there and at least snag one of their burgers during the burger week. I remember last year uh, for today in St. Louis, we did a whole series about it and it was so funny because obviously Renny Knott took the, uh, it seized the occasion and opportunity to go to as many burger places as possible. But there's a little something different on there for everybody. So, um, I mean, if you like burgers, which I, yeah, I'm a big fan. So I will have to add this to my rotation for next week. But Dory, when we're talking about this week, what's the best thing you had to eat? Oh, I had to think about this one a little bit. And honestly, it was a simple sausage, not quite so simple, but a sausage that we just grilled up in the backyard, got it from Joya's, which is one of my absolute favorite restaurants in the St. Louis area. They have like really helped carry me through this pandemic. (laughs) I will say that for sure. They make a special red hot riplet cheddar salami dog take all of that in red hot riplet cheddar salami dog it is so good and juicy and 
if you eat the red hot riblet chips and you think they're too spicy, this cheddar dog, it's like just the right amount of spicy. It has a little bit of a tang to it, but it's got the oozing cheese in there and that joyous salami taste to it. Holy moly, so good. So they good. offer them every once in a while on their website. So I stalked them on Instagram, like to be honest. <laughs> and I saw they were having them one weekend. So I ordered up a couple packages of them. So I still have more in the freezer. But um, that's something to look for on their Instagram. It was very good. Freeze well, so oh, that sounds so good. Mm. Okay. Well, actually, you know, this is not the best thing I had to eat this week, but I did a little Red Hot Ripplets inspired cooking in the past week. I made pork chops with a coating of Red Hot Ripplets chips on the outside. I mixed like a little bit of breadcrumbs with the Red Hot Ripplets chips. I just took the pork chops flour on both sides then an egg and then the third coating was or like the overall coating was just mostly the bottom part of my bag of red hot riblets chips that had gotten all crushed (laughs) and I was in the process of tossing them out and then I realized wait a minute I could do something with these and I put them in the air fryer just at like 375 for 12 minutes and very good but that wasn't the best thing I had to eat this week. I went to, you want, I think maybe last week, the best thing you had to eat was at the Tower Grove Farmer's Market. That's where mine was this week on the Saturday morning. Um, They have, if you hear about this and you say, that sounds so great, good news. The Holy <laughs> Crepe Truck is going to be back again this Saturday. They're there every Saturday morning at the Farmer's Market. And the name is kind of hilarious, Holy Crepe. But I got the Holy Slim <laughs> pig which has bacon goat cheese this kind of like basil dressing I like a savory crepe and oh my gosh it was so stinking good like I've been craving it since I finished the last bite of the last one so I might be a total loser and go to the farmer's market again this weekend and get the exact same thing but I don't care it was that good that might go for the crepes exactly that might be in my plan for this weekend so Again, this weekend, we're talking about July 24th through the 26th, and we have a couple events we wanted to let you know about, starting with one that we know um, Dory's mama is going to be pretty excited about. (laughs) Yes. Hello, mama. Are you listening? (laughs) Because Pint Size Bakery is doing a Christmas in July event this This weekend. It's Friday and Saturday only. They're going to be spreading Christmas cheer through their delicious treats. They'll have Christmas cookie gift boxes candy cane or run rum chata sammies gingerbread spiced tea cakes which sounds so delightful um but my favorite thing the iced peppermint mochas that sounds so good um pint size says that you can order online or go to their store to get those tasty little treats i think i'm gonna make my place my order immediately after we're done recording that sounds so (laughs) yes that sounds awesome i love that so I mean, that is a very a, a taste of the winter time, but you know what? It is still the summertime and pandemic or not. One of the best things about the summer is al fresco dining. And this weekend begins the streeteries in the Central West End. Of course, this is a pivot due to the pandemic, but it's a creative and fun one to promote eating outside at several of these restaurants that already have patios in the Central West End here, but a lot of them are going to be expanding into the streets, which will, of course, be closed off for a safe dining experience to accommodate more people as well. This is going to be happening on Fridays and Saturdays from 5 to 10 o'clock in the Central West End. We talked about this before, Dory. I think that 
a lot of neighborhoods should do this in the evenings. I love the look of it. It feels very European and fabulous. Yeah. And I think it's it's a fun way to accommodate more people, especially while we can, while the season's... Um, well, the summertime allows for that. So speaking yes, of summer, though, exactly. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of summer and things that we love, it's finally <sighs> time to welcome the boys of the summer back. I love it. This is so exciting. Yes. I told you when we were talking about this earlier that just writing this sentence out almost made me cry. <laughs> Cardinals baseball is coming back this Friday. They'll be at Bush Stadium against the Pirates. Of course, we can't be in the stands, but the Cardinals have our backs. They've released some options that we can safely watch the cards, not too far from Bush Stadium, at a safe social distance. Absolutely. So we've got this story up on uh, KSDK.com. We're going to go ahead and link that in the episode notes as well. But just to give you a preview, we there will be a couple venues open down around the stadium that can give you a close Cardinals experience, including the Budweiser brew house, bud deck rooftop, say that five times fast. Uh, tickets will go on say or tickets are on sale online. Um, they include a food and drink package uh, from one hour before the first pitch until the seventh inning stretch. So that's kind of, I've done that before for a game during regular times. That's a fun way to take in a game. The together yeah. credit union Plaza is also going to be open with drink service and the ball ballpark food so if you've really been craving like $15 nachos all summer there you go (laughs) (laughs) they will have that available as well as grab and go food from the new sports and social meatball stand which is never something I thought I needed in my life but we have a meatball (laughs) stand now in St. Louis that's opening on July 23rd as part of sports and social which of course is the new in venue and outdoor patio seating they are going to be available with their full food and drink menu we've talked about that in the past about how that's a cool little addition to downtown to uh, get you on your feet and active while enjoying the game so those are a couple of different options down there yeah, well, that's a new spot. Some of the old classes, classics are uh, going to be open this weekend as well, including Fox Sports Midwest Live. The venue has a full food and drink uh, menu that everybody can check out. That's in venue dining, so inside the um, ballpark village there. Also inside the Cardinals Nation restaurant just reopened this week. And if you were looking for some more outdoor seating, the Bullock at Live by Lowe's has expansive outdoor seating and a full menu with a beer selection and signature cocktail menu. So a couple options for people, whether you want to go inside to watch or outside, there will be TVs everywhere, I'm sure. I'm so excited about this. I almost uh, agreed to work in, or like offered to work nightside this Friday to help cover it. And then I was like, you know what? No, I just want to be enjoying opening day night finally <laughs> here in yes St. Louis. yes exactly so, and another reason you'll want to check out this uh link in our story notes is because ballpark village leadership and their different partners as well as the st louis uh, city health department have a list of procedures and things that you'll need to know about to do this safely so we have um, that information online as well and let us know whatever you get into Ooh la la. Abby St. Louis is a five on your side production. I'm Abby Larico. 
I'm Dory Olmos. Be sure you are subscribed to our podcast so you do not miss it when it drops in your feed every week. And we are really looking for some ratings and reviews. We haven't gotten one in a while, um, and we want we're feeling five star quality lately. So just reaffirm <laughs> our beliefs and drop one of those out there for us. And once again, our Instagram is at Abby Eats St. Louis. We want to know what you are thinking about, what you are eating, and maybe other episode ideas that you have for us. Until we are in your feed next week, seize the plate.